Michael Duke show. I have two guns, one for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my new friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Where's my rifle? Where's my gun? This is for fighting. This is for Firearms Friday. Firearms Friday. Good morning and welcome to the program. It is that one day a week. That we get a chance to sit down and talk about one of my favorite topics, man. It's one of my favorite topics. Uh, that is firearms, the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, and uh, all the jazz that's associated with it. Oh man, I mean, I'm I'm excited. It's a uh, it's a good day, and uh, it's even better today because uh, I've taken the rest of the day off, and. Uh, <clears throat> I'm just up for a little bit here, and then I plan to go back to bed for a good nap after the show today. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty, pretty sassy, sassy, saucy, and uh, and 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 on top of that, I've got a, uh, I've got a, uh, a great uh, lineup uh, today on the program, and I'm uh, kind of excited about that as well. We're going to get into that in just a second. So we're going to dive into some headlines here first. Uh, and uh, and take a look at some of the and there's been some big headlines around the country today uh, this week. Um, <clears throat> some that uh, you know I think some people are going to be kind of upset about. Um, and uh, while I am also upset about them, uh, well, we'll talk about that here in just a second. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. So uh, headlines, we're going to talk about that. And then in uh, a few moments, in fact, about uh, 12, 15 minutes or so, we're going to be joined by Stephen Hallbrook, who is a senior fellow at the Independent Institute. Um, <clears throat> and he is also the author of a slew of books uh, including um, the latest one, which is called The Right to Keep and Bear Arms, uh, which is uh, with the subtitle of A Constitutional Right of the People or a, or a Privilege of the Ruling Class, which is his latest work. Now, if I recall correctly, I believe I've had Stephen on the program before. Sometimes you forget. 20 years, you know what I mean? Sometimes you you misremember, but I think that I had Stephen on the program here about 10 years ago because he wrote another book called Gun Control in the Third Reich. And I think that is, it is a, uh, uh, it, he's got a lot of history under his belt. Um, and I am super excited about this. Not only is he a senior fellow at the Independent Institute and an author, he's also, <clears throat> excuse me, a lawyer known for his litigation on cases involving uh, laws pertaining to firearms. And he's written extensively about that. Uh, this latest work, though, the right to keep uh, the right to bear arms. Uh, is gives us some insight into what's going on uh, in this day and age, and we'll hopefully get some really good uh, looks at what's going on today and where we may be going from here. And that is an exciting time for me. I'm I'm pretty psyched about it. 
So Stephen Hallbrook is going to be joining us here this morning, and we're going to be uh, diving into that. In hour two, we will open up the phone lines. Uh, gun gun Q and A will be in full effect, and that is for those of you who don't know. Every Friday, we try to open up the phone lines, and the invite is for anybody. Uh, you know, we we get some regulars that call in. I mean, we've got some folks that listen to this show, uh, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, uh, Brent down in Las Vegas or Fred in Rhode Island. Uh, we've had calls from Texas and Colorado and everywhere else on the show in the past, uh, and of course, all of you. But the real point of uh, Firearms Friday is education. Uh, it is education. It is the demystification of the fire. That's a big word. It's the D. De- We're here to demystify. We're here to answer your questions and dumb it down. Because look, let's face it, ignorance breeds fear, right? Ignorance breeds fear. If you don't know about something, you scared. I mean, especially if you're talking about a tool that is potentially dangerous. I mean, you know, you don't just pick up a skill saw or a chainsaw if you've never used one before and, you know, go crazy with it because you know that that thing is a little dangerous, a little scary. But give you some training, give you some information, let you sit down, watch a few, you know, how-to videos and uh, get some hands-on experience with somebody. And all of a sudden you feel pretty comfortable about it. You feel pretty good about it. You still respect the tool, but now you can do something fantastic with it. And uh, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, 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 making some some kind of fancy high-end coffee table or whether it's bucking up a bunch of wood for winter or whatever it is, you know, you've, you've done it. And that's what Firearms Friday is. We're just trying to demystify it because you are being inundated day in and day out by all the uh, talking heads, the commentary, even the entertainment industry is vilifying the firearm as if it in and of itself is somehow responsible for the actions of bad people in the world doing bad things. And I'm here to tell you that's not the case. It's not responsible. The people are responsible. And that's going to play a big part in our first story today. Our first story today is, well, it's got some of the gun culture kind of up in arms about this. Um, Even though I understand the reasoning behind why uh, it's happened and what the reasoning is, I too am not too comfortable about it, but I also understand. And what I'm talking about is the fact that Remington Arms has now settled with the families of the Sandy Hook shooting over their alleged liability for the misuse of the firearm that was used in Sandy Hook to kill all of those uh, people, especially the children. It's been eight years since uh, everything took place, and Remington has been in a lawsuit with a group of families and victims and one survivor, And they all claimed that the gun company bore legal responsibility for the actions of the criminal, the thug, the maniac, the madman who killed all those people. Now, most uh, most people understand that the uh, that that gun manufacturers are shielded from uh, liability for misuse of their legally provided product that is in federal law. It's a 2005 federal law called the PLCAA, the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act. But in this case, there were 
uh, some exceptions, specifically because the event took place in Connecticut. And uh, the the argument, as it went from the from the uh, plaintiffs, insisted that Remington violated a particular Connecticut statute called Connecticut's Unfair Trade Practices Act. And they argued that by stressing that the rifles that they were selling, that Remington was selling, had militaristic and assaultive qualities in its marketing. Now, that's not even a word, but that's what they, militaristic and assaultive qualities in its marketing, uh, marketing, the company should bear legal responsibility for the shooter using the weapon to kill other people. There were various other arguments that the plaintiffs tried to use to hold Remington responsible for the actions of the shooter, but those were all rejected by Connecticut's uh, Supreme Court in 2019. The only one that remained was this one based on Connecticut's Unfair Trade Practices Act. And the reason why that is important is because the PLCAA has a provision baked into it that says specifically that that is specifically that it would allow lawsuits against gun manufacturers um, that a manufacturer or seller of a qualified product knowingly violated a state or federal statute applicable to the sale or marketing of the product, and the violation was approximate cause of the harm for which relief is sought. Now, here's where the heavy lift comes in. The idea that somehow the plaintiffs in this case, the families and everybody else, would have to prove that the shooter or his mother, who he stole the gun from and then killed her, I mean, you know, that either the shooter or his mother who bought that rifle was influenced in any way by an advertisement, any advertisement, let alone that the advertising itself precipitated the mass shooting or made it deadlier. The Connecticut Supreme Court itself observed that while allowing the lawsuit to proceed, proving such a casual link in that trial would prove to be a Herculean task. Now, Remington decided instead of trying to defend this in court, they instead decided to settle out of court uh, and pay a lawsuit uh, and, and, and agreed to pay $73 million. $73 million. So it eliminated the need for the rigorous proof in court. Now, the, the problem of, of course, this whole thing is that when you burden an entity with a legal liability for the criminal actions of its customers, that's the problem. Uh, it offends the standards of justice. Remington didn't do anything to harm these families specifically. It just sold a product that someone else used to do harm. Now, we've talked about that in the past. That's like saying that, uh, you know, for all the car crashes in America, you can take the, you know, for everybody that went joyriding, you can take the motor car company to court, the automobile manufacturer to court. For every drunk driver, you can take the 
automobile manufacturer and the liquor manufacturer to court. You know, guy gets all liquored up, woo, gets in his Ford pickup truck after drinking, you know, a fifth of Jack Daniels, and boom, something happens. Now you're going to sue Ford Motor Company and Jack Daniels Distillery for the illegal actions of somebody who used their lawful legal product. Um, I mean, it, it, it really... It it really is kind of dangerous. Now, New York State last year also made a law that made it easier in civil litigation to hold gun suppliers responsible for the actions of gun users. The uh, to be free of liability, the gun makers must quote utilize reasonable controls and procedures to ensure that the weapons they sell are not unlawfully used. Even though most gun crimes are committed by people who did not obtain their guns legally to begin with, including. The shooter in Connecticut, he did not obtain his gun legally. He killed his mother, got her gun safe, and stole her firearm. She was the legal owner of the firearm. So how you could say that, I mean, I'm really, I'm really dejected by this. And upset. I understand why they did it, maybe, from a a standpoint. Remington had uh, already... Excuse me, Remington had already fired, filed for bankruptcy protection in 2020, and they'd made a previous settlement offer last July of about half this much. But and so I understand that there's a lot of outside forces on this because the insurers are going to be on the hook for this. But, you know, I think that this was I think they should have just taken this. They would have had to prove it would have been a Herculean task to quote the court, uh, the Supreme Court of Connecticut a Herculean task to prove such a casual link that somehow they were influenced in any way by the advertisement, let alone that that advertising somehow precipitated the mass shooting. That's like seeing a picture of a guy in camo with a Remington rifle saying, you know, own the the, the few, the proud, the whatever. And the guy says, hmm, that looks good. I think I'll go out and shoot somebody. That I mean, that's the kind of ridiculousness we're talking about. But this is the this is the death of the thousand cuts that we're going to be facing as we move forward. They're going to find every aspect. And boy, do they hate the PLCAA. I mean, they hate that. They want to be able to take gun manufacturers to court. They want to bankrupt the industry so that they can stop the stop the supply chain. That's one of the that's one of the ways they see. I mean, it's just it's crazy stuff. All right. I got to go. We're going to continue up next is Stephen Hallbrook, author, activist, attorney. We are going to dive into that with him and see what he has to say. I'm looking forward to it. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We will see you on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Back with more right after this. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. All right. Good morning, my friends. How are you? How are you? This is, uh, yeah, boy, it's troubling. It's troubling. Our legal system has degraded in such semantics that a gun company would rather settle out of court than try and disprove some 15th degree of connection between their product and an insane person. 
this is how freedom dies. And I think that a lot of us feel that way, Anthony. I mean, while I can intellectually understand why they settled, um, I, it, it does. It sets a huge and horrible precedent. And now the, the, the hill is going to be much harder to climb for those that come behind. Definitely going to be a difficult situation. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, I'm still, still waking up here. Let me see who else is on the, on the thing this morning. Michael's over on YouTube. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I see my dad's in the chat room. Dad, why are you up so early? I would not be up this early. Um, if I didn't have to be. Remington should not have settled. The maniac held responsibility for his action. Too bad Remington folded. If Remington sets this up, then Ford, Chevy, Dodge will be liable in drunk driving cases. Jack Daniels and Budweiser. Jack Daniels and Budweisers. What about drug companies? Yeah, it's, the whole thing is just. Yeah, if any of these people cared at all, says Henry, they would address the mental health aspect instead of blaming the object. Kelly says, can I sue McDonald's for making me fat? Well, there's an interesting comment. I mean, really, you start thinking about it. Um, Canadian truckers are being arrested, says Kelly. Yeah, I mean, look, there's all kinds of other stories that are going on around the day. But I, we're focusing on guns today. Sorry, Kelly. I just, I got to do, I got to do what I got to do. Got to do, I got to do what we got to do here this morning. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get uh, things set up with Stephen Hallbrook. Um, I'm pretty uh, pretty interested to get him on the program and uh, get things squared away. Let's see if we can get him ready to rock and roll this morning, and we will get this done. Hello, this is Steve Hall. Good morning, sir. It's Michael Dukes calling from Alaska. How are you? I'm good. How are you today, Michael? You know, I'm good. It's Friday, which is always good. The end of the week. It's a long weekend for me. And um, I get to talk to somebody who has been uh, doing a lot of good work out there on the Second Amendment front for many, many years. I was just thinking, uh, I don't know if you recall, I seem to remember you coming on my program about Oh, 10, 11 years ago to talk about your Third Reich book. Um, and But I but I couldn't remember for sure. But uh, I don't know if you remember that or not. Well, it's, it's likely. And I did a lot of interviews for that book. And so if you remember it, then I remember it. Well, I remember it was really uh, I remember it was really well written. And, and I loved uh, I loved to kind of dive down into that. Parallels in history fascinate me, and um, I love to I love to see that. So either I just misremember, doesn't matter. You're on today, and that's good. I'm pretty excited about it. So uh, we're uh, we're in the commercial break right now. We're about uh, 60 70 seconds from rejoining. We're on with Facebook Live. We've got a bunch of people on Facebook here that are listening and on YouTube at the same time because I'm broadcasting everywhere at once. Uh, so we're about ready to go. Uh, if you'll hold on the line, I'll be right back to you. Okay. Will do. Thank okay. You. Thanks so much uh, for coming on board. Again, Stephen Hallbrook, author of his latest book called The Right to Bear Arms, A Constitutional Right of the People or a Privilege of the Ruling Class. 
And we're going to talk about that and how, you know, why he wanted to take the topic from this perspective. He's written a handful of other books, including That Every Man Be Armed, Gun Control in the Third Reich, The Founder's Second Amendment, and of course, uh, this latest one as well. And he has, uh, he's known for uh, his litigation involving laws pertaining to firearms. We may get his comments today on the Remington uh, settlement as well. If, uh, if we have time to do that as well, because I think that that sets as a lawyer, he may have some insight into the precedent that that may set and and uh, and hurt us with. All right, folks, uh, like and share, like and share, like and follow the show page. Hit subscribe. Bring the bell on YouTube. Here we go. Rejoining the radio. The Michael Duke show. Common sense. Liberty based. Free thinking radio. Let's do this. All right, welcome back to the program. It is Firearms Friday, that one day a week that we dedicate to the Second Amendment, the gun culture, trying to demystify the firearm and the gun stuff for you folks who who just are not, you know, you're ambivalent. We're not looking for anti-gunners or really for pro-gunners. We're looking for that middle of the road who just don't know one way or the other. The gun curious, as I like to call them. Uh, in doing so, we've asked onto the program today somebody who's been fighting this fight for many, many years. His name is Stephen Hallbrook. He's a senior fellow at the Independent Institute. He's an author and a lawyer known for his litigation on cases involving laws pertaining to firearm. He has written extensively about the original meanings of the Second Amendment, the origins, and he's written a, a whole, <clears throat> excuse me, a whole handful of books, including uh, books about gun control in the Third Reich, the founders idea of what the Second Amendment should be, and his latest book, which is entitled The Right to Keep and Bear Arms, A Constitutional Right of the People or a Privilege of the Ruling Class, and he joins us this morning to discuss that. Good morning, sir. Thanks for coming on board. Good morning, Michael. Glad to be on the show again. Well, I got to tell you, uh, this day, this is a kind of a precipitous day here with the announcements this week from uh, from Ruger and, or from Remington and everything. We may be able to get into that before we run out of time. But I want to talk a little bit about this book. This book seems to be from a little bit of a different perspective, um, which is the question about whether it is the elites that are the right to keep and bear arms or if it is a private citizen's right. And you have written extensively about the framers' ideas, the original meanings, which to I think a lot of us who've study this seem pretty clear when you read all the writings, not just the actual words of the Constitution. But let's let's start about let's talk about the genesis of this book itself. I mean, how did you get started on this idea path? Well, I've been working on Second Amendment issues since the I would say the late 60s when I was an undergraduate in college. And I've, I've done uh, a lot of research, written several books, a number of articles. <clears throat> but this is a book that really shouldn't have to even be written. The Second Amendment provides in part that the right of the, pe the people, okay, let's say the people, to keep in their arms shall not be infringed. And what more do you need than that? It says people and it says bear arms. And right. um, the subtitle of the book is rhetorical, a constitutional right of the people or a privilege of the ruling class. Of course, it's not a privilege of the ruling class. I mean, it says the people, if they wanted to... Um, copy like the British constitution or the French constitution and give privileges to ruling elites. They could, they could do that. Uh, they didn't do that. They broke away from that. Um, 
the Declaration of Independence said that we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal before the law. And so when you look at the history, besides the actual text of the amendment, um, it, it clearly states, I mean, it, it clearly reads that there were no gun restrictions. As long as you peacefully carried a gun, you could carry a gun. Right. If you turn the clock back to earlier um, decades, in the 1960s, the view was invented that the Second Amendment only guarantees a collective militia right of states to maintain the National Guard. What a travesty that theory was. Right. And yet you had federal courts bending over backwards to make rulings that said that. Right. And finally, in District of Columbia versus Heller, the Supreme Court straightened them out and made clear that bearing arms meant carrying guns like handguns. And yet we still have six states that disrespect the right. Right. Well, and I think it's interesting that you point out that, I mean, the subtitle of the book really is is a rhetorical question. Is it a constitutional right of the people or a privilege of the ruling class? Yet since the late 60s, the ruling class has behaved as if that's exactly it. You average peon, you average citizen don't really have that right. Now, we, because we're the privileged and ruling class and we have private security and we can protect ourselves and we can bend the rules or get around the rules if we don't want to arm ourselves. That seems to have been kind of this disdainful attitude that has been there for the last, you know, 50, 60 years. And it's finally starting to turn around. But that really has been the attitude uh, since the 1968 GCA. I mean, that's really how things have come about. Yeah, and when you look at the actual laws under a microscope, the the law that's before the Supreme Court right now is this New York state law, which says you have to have a, a, a special need, basically, to get a permit to carry a handgun. And and then they, the court decisions in New York say that, well, um, you're nobody special to get a permit if you live in a high crime area or, or you work in a high crime area. You have to have some kind of unique... Uh, need that other people don't have. And so that's why you end up, the, the permits get issued to billionaires, celebrities, anti-gun celebrities included. And um, if you pay the right bribes to the New York City Licensing Division, you might get a permit. There was several criminal cases that were brought in the last few years where um, money was being paid, prostitutes were being provided, uh, tickets to ball games and to the Caribbean were being provided to right. officials in the licensing division right. uh, in order to get carry permits. I mean, when you have that kind of system, it lends itself to corruption because who do you decide get, gets the permit? And, and if you look at 21 states have constitutional carry, you don't have, have to have a permit to carry. Right. And the other states that, that total 44, um, you can get a permit as long as you have no criminal record and and that you, um, if, if there's any training requirement, things like that, that anybody can do, basically, you get the permit. And if you have a subjective statutory basis, like a, a proper purpose like New York has, then it's subject to the discretion of uh, arbitrary will of officials. And I think this this goes back to an article that you wrote last year for The Wall Street Journal, where you talked about, you know, when is a constitutional right not a right? When you have to go to the king or the sheriff or the mayor or whoever, and you have to go beg on hands and knees to, may I exercise that right? When you need official approval, 
then it's not a right. It is become it's become a privilege that is granted from on high, and that is definitely not what the founders intended. I mean, you can a simple, plain reading of their letters and their commentary and everything else from the day will tell you that's definitely not what they intended. Well, you know, Thomas Jefferson was a big gun collector. He carried guns. He went on spending sprees to buy guns when he was in Europe. And uh, he, he collected good books, good wines, and, and good guns. Uh, but you look at um, other founders. I mean, James Madison in the Federalist Papers talking about the fact that in Europe they were afraid to, the monarchies were afraid to trust the people with arms. And that's unlike the way it is here. And, and you look at all the accounts of American marksmanship that um, preceded the revolution. And then you look up the fact that um, Lexington and Concord, what happened there? And then the armed citizens, um, farmers, um, assembling themselves, beating the British at King's Mountain with their um, their long rifles that the British didn't have, things like that. And, and then the history of the Second Amendment being ratified itself in 1791. Um, they would think you were cockamamie if, if you argued, like is being argued today, that, well, the right to bear arms is superseded by the statute of Northampton um, passed in, in English, in England under Edward III in 12, or thir, um, 1326. I right. mean, please. Right, exactly. Um, you need the king's license. I mean, imagine saying that to the, the farmers at Lexington and Concord. Right. Well, we, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because we were just talking about that the other day, that the that the shot heard around the world, the fight, the fight at Lexington and Concord was really one of the first attempts at major gun control because the British were marching on the magazine, the powder magazine uh, in the community there at Lexington and Concord, and they were going to seize it. And that's when the what then became revolutionaries, you know, realized that, well, if they take the powder and ball, we are without we're without hope. And so that's when they decided to take the stand. It was really a gun control grab that kicked off the American Revolution. I mean, that's how ingrained it is in the American psyche and has been since the founding of the of the country uh, that that is, you know, in, in order of importance, as Chuck Heston used to say, it is the First Amendment because it protects all the other rights. And that's what I mean, that's what people fail to realize today. Yeah. And one one thing that's not very well known at all in our history is uh, I covered in my book, The Founder's Second Amendment, what happened right after Lexington and Concord. You had the British occupying Boston and uh, General Thomas Gage was the British commander in chief. And he basically uh, ordered the inhabitants to turn in their guns. Now, they were supposed to just turn them into their elected select men, they were called. They were kind of like uh, like a city council. Right. And and then they would they would uh, take down their names and register the guns and take uh, custody of the guns until the troubles went away. And, and Gage promised the citizens of, of Boston who wanted to get out of town uh, that the, if they get, turned in their guns, then they could leave. And, and so on the appointed day, uh, all these people turned in their guns, uh, just thousands of guns, uh, long guns, muskets, uh, some blunderbusses, pistols, bayonets. Um, and, and they turned them in at Faneuil Hall, which is still exists there in Boston today. And then all of a sudden, the British troops come up and seize them. Uh, so all the names and, and guns they turned in were carefully put down in, in a registration file. 
which still survives today. But um, the guns were all destroyed. Uh, and, and then when, when the people turned in their guns, Gage wouldn't let them leave town. <laughs> and, and that was uh, cited in the Continental Congress's Declaration of Causes of Taking Up Arms. One of the reasons that we went to war, this was in 1775, uh, a year before the Declaration of Independence. And, and they talked about what perfidy this British general had to make these promises people could leave. So there you had, they, they weren't even like fighting the British like they did at Lexington and Concord. They just right. had to turn in their guns and then they never got them back. Right. Well, and again, this is uh, this is part of that narrative where I believe that there's, you know, there's a lot of people out there in the ruling class and it could be left or right. It doesn't even matter. It could be Democrat or Republican, but somehow they believe that they know better than you how you should live your life, how you should raise your children, how you should spend your money, how you should do anything. They have this some kind of divine right of kings that's passed down into the uh, the nouveau riche nobility of what we have today as far as lawmakers and the elites. And they're hindered in their efforts to make us a more perfect society by these people that may have the ability to resist. And that's really what this is about. This is about quelling the resistance to whatever movement the elites or the leaders or the rulers want in moving forward. It has been the one thing that has uh, held back, you know, the slide in American liberty as far as it has. I mean, even as, as many warts and boils as we have in this country today, we're still one of the freest nations on the earth. And the only reason we're not under something more draconian is because there's this implicit threat by gun owners that if you step too far over the line, we will not comply and we will resist. That's why we've never had to have a revolution in this country because the people are armed and because they serve on juries, because they vote, because they have free speech. These, these bundles of rights, that's what keeps us free. Um, and if you look at the, the six states that disrespect the right to bear arms, they would disrespect a lot of other rights right. they're the high tax states that they regulate everything it's we're talking about california new jersey new york states like that and hawaii um maryland and, and so um all these things go together and you look at the states where you have rights to bear arms you have other rights you know they don't tax you to death these are the states where where the refugees are coming from the bad states. Right. And so um, the, the case before the Supreme Court is called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus New York. And the oral argument took place in November. Um, you can actually uh, go online and find the oral argument. You can listen to the argument and listen carefully to the lawyer for New York. Um, J Justice Alito asked a question. Well, what about the, the blue collar people, they work late. Uh, they might be janitors. They might be cooks, whatever. They get off work. Then they got to go to the subway. Uh, they got to go through dangerous areas, but they don't get permits to carry, do they? And and the, the New York lawyers start babbling about you need the king's license, and that's the history. Um, and then uh, Alito said, well, uh, so you're saying there's no guns in those places where you have to go home late at night? And she said, oh, well. She admitted there's illegal guns there. And, of course, that was exactly his point. Right. Um, and, and then you had the chief justice, Roberts, asking the question, well, OK, so one guy got a, a permit where he could carry out in the woods, but he couldn't carry in the city. And where's the most likely place he would be robbed? 
Well, it was the city. And the funny thing about that was the, the New York lawyer said, oh, well, you, you could be um, attacked in the woods. That just made her case worse, though, because, yeah, you could be attacked <laughs> in either one of those places. Well, she's literally making the argument that, well, when guns are outlawed, <laughs> only outlaws will have guns because she admits that there are illegal guns in those areas and that the private citizens are the ones there that are on the short end of that stick. And that's been the argument that we've had for a long time. Uh, Stephen Hallbrook is our guest. He's an author, a lawyer, an advocate. You can find him at stephenhallbrook.com. He's got a new book out. It's called The Right to Bear Arms. We're going to continue to discuss that here in just a moment, but we have to take a quick commercial break. Uh, we'll be back here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. That's what we do every day. It is Friday, so that means it's Firearms Friday. Broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. And, of course, don't forget you can join us in the chat rooms as well as we simulcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch TV. Uh, It is The Michael Duke Show. We'll be back with more and Stephen Hallbrook when we return. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Commercial break. Stephen Hallbrook is still with us uh, here in the chat room with, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 people between all the chat rooms. Um, Again, thanks for coming on board. You know, I I just I find it amazing, uh, Stephen, when I've heard some of these different arguments and like the oral arguments in this case and others where they basically look at you like you're crazy and like, of course, regular people shouldn't have guns. And of course, bad guys have guns. But, you know, that's just we should just wait for the police to uh, handle those things. Yet at the same time, many of those same people are the ones that on the weekends are out there with signs chanting that we should defund the police because they can't be trusted either. I mean, at this point, who who can be trusted with firearms if that's the case? Well, it, it's always been the case that when, when seconds count, the police will be there in minutes. But we don't, don't even have that anymore. If you look at the riots of 2020... People could call 911 and they would say, oh, well, we have no service available. I mean, you've always been your first responder. That's right. the way life is. Yeah. Uh, if you're, you're attacked, I mean, you have to be able to, if you choose to do so, to uh, protect yourself and to take measures potentially that if that were to happen, and that's the whole reason for freedom of choice to carry a gun, um, if you feel like your life is worth protecting. And if you Phil, otherwise, you're free not to do that as well. If you think that um, rapists should not be defended against because you might get hurt, then, well, you know, go with it. That's your choice. But um, it goes back to the political philosophy on which our country was founded. John Locke had it best when he said, do you prefer the life of the robber or the life of the victim? Right. That's the whole basis for the right to self-defense is that if you're an innocent person, why would we have it otherwise? Why would we have a, a, a principle that you have to retreat or that you have to give yourself up? Right. And that's the whole fallacy of, of pacifism is that there are bad people in the world. Thomas Paine talked about that. If, if good people gave up their arms, then there would be no end to the evil. 
Right. No, absolutely. And and we've slowly fallen victim to that. Um, your book, again, I keep going back to it because, but again, I find fascinating the parallels in history, the gun control in the Third Reich, and the fact that a lot of our, for example, the 1968 GCA, the Gun Control Act of 1968, the, the parallels the same gun control that was used in Nazi Germany uh, in a lot of ways. And, and yet we failed to learn those lessons of history. We failed to learn the lessons that bad people are going to do bad things. We call them criminals for a reason, you know. And so if you think that, oh, just this one more law or just this one more law or this one more regulation will somehow stop them, they call them criminals for a reason. And it seems like that just escapes a, a lot of people who are the powers that be. Yeah, um, the full title of that book was Gun Control in the Third Reich, Disarming the, the Jews and Enemies of the State. And German law, uh, under the Weimar Republic, it actually formed the basis for the Nazi dictatorship in a lot of ways, like allowing emergency decrees. I mean, they, they, got, they got that in Canada right now, don't they? Um, right, right, right. Also, like on, on the gun issue, if you were considered unreliable or an enemy of the state, you could be disarmed. And so that's basically what the Nazis proclaimed in, in 1938 when they disarmed the Jewish people, Reich Kristallnacht, or Night of the Broken Glass. They basically said any Jew with a gun is a danger to the state. And so they disarmed them all. They had the registration records. They right. had to be registered. And we have that here, of course, in California and New York and other places where um, either all guns or handguns have to be basically registered. So they, they've got the list. They know who you are. They know where you live. Um, so they, they can pick them up if they want to. I mean, back in the 60s, they required rifle registration in New York City. And, and they said, oh, well, nobody would ever confiscate your rifles. And then all of a sudden, in um, early 90s, they passed a law that a, a rifle can't have a, a bayonet lug and it can't have a magazine that holds more than five rounds and you have these people who bought guns from the civilian marksmanship program m1 garands they they all became illegal and so the police went around and knocked on doors uh if you didn't respond to their correspondence that you had to get your gun out of the city right no it's crazy we saw the same thing in california if you remember when they first put in the registration and then they said oh no we decided these are actually illegal after all and they used you know of course we're not going to use it for confiscation and then they later on did it. and that actually raises a bigger question uh about some of the non-compliance we've seen in things like the more recent the new york safe act and the connecticut assault weapons ban and some of those other things where people are just getting to the point to where they're not complying and that raises the danger of you know the irish democracy where they create laws that nobody respects and it just further erodes the faith in government and i think that's a bigger issue as well but i want to i want to dive into this book specifically give you a chance to give us uh, some insight into it and uh, and uh, see if folks out there would like to go out and purchase it and we'll uh, we'll talk about that and maybe we can get into the uh, the remington thing as well at the end i'd like to talk about that but we're coming in right now coming in hot we've got the uh, uh, second segment or final segment of this hour uh, stephen holbrook our guest. Uh, you can find him at stephenhallbrook.com. Let's jump back into it. Here we go.
All right, we're continuing on this uh, Firearms Friday. Stephen Hallbrook is our guest. You can find him at stephenhallbrook.com. He's an author, a lawyer, an advocate. He's a senior fellow at the Independent Institute. But today we're talking about his latest book, which is called The Right to Bear Arms, A Constitutional Right of the People or a Privilege of the Ruling Class. And we're going to dive into that book a little bit here, get some depth and figure out, uh, you know, what are the reasons why we should pick it up and read it. So, Steve, uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about it. You said that that was kind of a rhetorical question, the subheading. But what does this book cover? What what are we what are we picking this up and and getting out of this when we uh, when we go to read it? Well, most of it is a history of the right, and it, it starts back in medieval England, and it, it goes through the different decrees uh, of the different monarchs, and and then the. Um, the prosecutions of individuals for guns. One of the most famous cases was um, in the last years of the reign of James II. It was against uh, a guy named Sir John Knight, and the court ruled that there's no law against carrying guns peacefully. Uh, and in that case, he was carrying guns for self-defense. But that was at at a time when the um, the British monarch was disarming Protestants and arming Catholics. And so in 1688, you have the Glorious Revolution, the overthrow of James II, the, his replacement with William and Mary of Orange. Uh, it's unfortunate the religious conflict in, in Europe in those days, but it was a fact of life, Protestants versus Catholics. And so the English Declaration of Rights of 1689 provided and, and recognized the right of Protestants to have arms for their security. Um, that was the fallacy of it. So when when our country is founded and you have the Second Amendment being proposed in Congress by James Madison in 1789, you have him um, writing this um, an outline for a speech, and he said that's the fallacy of the British Declaration that it's limited to Protestants and not to the people as a whole. Right. Uh, and, and the fact, and when we need it in a constitution, not just an act of parliament or an act of Congress, because Congress then can repeal that right if it's declared there by law. So um, I go through all of this history of um, the pre-revolutionary epoch. You know, the Tea Party. Uh, the the there's a lot of interesting things that happened in those years. The fact that before the Boston Tea Party, all the guns got sold out. You couldn't find any more pistols in Boston to, to buy. Right. You see parallels with today when you see, <laughs> you know, under a microscope, some of the things that took place in those days. Right. Um, and then we go up through the fact that there, there were there were no laws against carrying guns at the founding. And the only thing that some states had was that if you carry a gun aggressively and intimidate people, that that could be a crime, and of course that should be a crime. You don't go around pointing guns at people and and threatening them um, with murder. So that was a, an offense. But as long as you carried arms peacefully, there was nothing to talk about. And finally, in 1813, you have two states to enact um, prohibitions on concealed carry, but they still recognized open carry. And the only big fallacy we had in the antebellum period was we had slavery. And so there were laws against slaves having guns. And that, that of course, is a condition of slavery, that you don't allow them to have guns or other freedoms. Right. And when that was done away with, uh, initially the southern states reenacted 
those laws as they call them the black codes. This is right after the war. Um, and a big purpose of the adoption of the 14th Amendment was to do away with that so that the right to bear arms was recognized on behalf of everybody. Uh, and then you go on up into history. And, and finally, we have the Supreme Court ruling in 2008, the Heller case. The Supreme Court recognizes the difference between keeping and bearing arms and talks about bearing arms, meaning to carry arms. And it, despite that case, you have a revolt by some of the lower courts um, and the usual suspect states, of course, they, upholding the laws in New York and, and Maryland, uh, California. And so now we have the big um, gunfight at the OK Corral in the Supreme Court. And I, I think um, there's a good chance the court's going to invalidate New York's law. And that um, my, my book, The Right to Bear Arms, came out just right, right when the Supreme Court said they were going to hear this very issue. <laughs> So it was very timely and, and fortunate to right. um, to have it, you know, marked on at that point. And um, so we'll see what the court does. I mean, I'm looking for possibly six justices to to vote to invalidate the New York law. Well, I think, you know, it's very important <laughs> that we understand our history. Like I was talking about earlier, I love parallels in history. And you just mentioned it, whether it was the registration and, and confiscation of Crystal Knock <laughs> or even going back into the pre-revolution days and understanding what their mindset was. And what we're suffering from today is a bunch of revisionist history. I mean, the president just got up the other day, uh, it was the last week or whatever, and said, you know, the Second Amendment doesn't guarantee you the right to a cannon. It does doesn't guarantee you the right to uh, weapons of war. That's one of their favorite causes. Yet I immediately pointed to, for example, the fact that Teddy Roosevelt and his Rough Riders were provided with machine guns by private families in New York City because they couldn't they couldn't get them. But the private families bought the machine guns, gave them to the Rough Riders. They were used in San Juan Hill. Uh, there's various examples of that. There were, of course, privateers, letters of mark. Those are warships. You had private warships with cannon and and everything else. But see, this is the revisionist history that people don't bother to look into. And so they just take it for granted. They have to know this to be able to stop this stuff from happening. Well, I mean, Joe Biden's known for making stuff up every day. And as a matter of fact, uh, cannon were advertised for sale to private individuals at the time of the founding. And you can still own a cannon today. Cannons were not regulated at all under federal law until 1968. Right. And when the um, National Firearms Act that year was revised, it had the category of a destructive device, and that was defined as a, a weapon that shoots uh, that has a, a, a barrel over 50 caliber, basically. And so that included cannon. But if, if you pay $200 and register it, you can build your own cannon today, or you can buy one that's already registered from somebody else. Uh, so he made that up. And then this whole idea of calling an AR-15, a weapon of war, is ridiculous. It's a semi-automatic. Uh, there's no army in the world that uses just semi-automatics as a regular service rifle. They, our, our troops use M4s and M16s, and they fire fully automatically. That's always been the big difference um, in terms of restriction. That goes back in U.S. history to the National Firearms Act of 1934. Um, but uh, there's yeah you're you're right about revisionist history. There's so much of this trash that get, just gets made up, and, and you have these same courts um, that disrespect the right to bear arms. They uphold these rifle bans. They're, we're talking about America's rifle, the AR-15. It's not an assault weapon. They want right. to call it that, but 
a derogatory term, uh, but maybe that'll be the next issue that the court will uh, deal with, the Supreme Court, once it takes care of the carry issue. Right. Well, they can't they can't define what an assault rifle is. I mean, even during the assault weapons ban uh, in the uh, in the early aughts, you know, you had two rifles that were basically similar. Uh, uh, I mean, almost identical in function, but cosmetically they were dissimilar. So you're saying the cosmetics makes it an assault rifle. I mean, they just can't come up with a, a definitive thing. We're down to the last 45 seconds here, Stephen. Uh, where can people find your book? Where can people uh, find out about it? Well, just Google my name, Stephen Hallbrook. Uh, that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-H-A-L-B-R-O-K. Uh, and uh, The Right to Bear Arms, and you can find the book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, any of the booksellers. And so it's so easy to get books nowadays. It uh, is. StephenHallbrook.com. You can find it on my website. And um, I, I invite you to take a look at it. I think it'll be good reading uh, as we anticipate what the Supreme Court's going to decide. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hopefully we'll get him on Audible, too. Uh, we're out of time. Stephen, hold the line for just a second, folks. Hour two dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Are they available on audiobook, just out of curiosity? Um... It's on Kindle, but I don't think it's audio yet. Oh, okay. Well, that's a good. We we do a lot of audiobook stuff around here. Uh, I'm a narrator for some audiobooks, so people always ask questions about audiobooks when guests come on. But uh, anyway, uh, it, it's good on that. Uh, can I get your quick before I let you go? We got about a six minute break here at the top of the hour. Can you give me your hot thoughts here right off the bat on this Remington thing as a lawyer and as you know, what do you think this does? What kind of precedent? It's out of court, so it's not like it's a court precedent. But what does it say when Remington decides not to fight this out and instead just cough up the $73 million? The the problem is that the federal law, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, precludes suits like this. The Connecticut Supreme Court, though, in a four to three decision, upheld the ability to uh, file a lawsuit like this. I mean, the federal law says you can't sue a a gun maker for crimes that are committed by third parties. Um, and this Connecticut Supreme Court found a way to try to get around that. The U.S. Supreme Court denied cert um, when Remington filed for cert. And so what Remington is looking at, they agreed to pay $73 million, but um, from their perspective, the people who made this agreement must have thought that if this goes to a jury trial, uh, the sky would be the limit. I mean, it, it could be 10 times that much. Right. And so I'm, I'm assuming, I mean, I, I haven't seen a statement by Remington, but uh, that's the way lawyers and insurance people think that uh, sometimes you just pay knowing that um, if it goes to a jury, the jury might not care about the fact that the, the, this creep who killed the people, was he reading Remington advertisements? And, and the advertisements themselves were not out of line. They just right. talked about this being an accurate rifle and, and well-made. Right. I mean, that's the whole theory of the case, that that Remington advertised its, its guns in a way that appealed to crazy people like that, and that was not true. Well, even the Connecticut Supreme Court acknowledged that while they were allowing it to go through because of this Connecticut law that talks about uh, exceptions for, you know, uh, manufacturers, you know, using marketing and things like that could do, even they said that, it would be a very, very heavy lift to 
to prove that he was influenced, the shooter was influenced by the advertisement, let alone that the advertisement itself precipitated the mass shooting or made it any deadlier. But and they acknowledged that that was going to be, they said, a Herculean task. Um, but yet, even still, Remington decided to bow out. Because you're right. How do you show the direct? It would have to be causality. It would have to be a direct connection between that advertisement and the kid saying, oh, yeah, look at this. This is a nice rifle. I see this ad. This makes me want to go out and shoot people. I right. mean, you know, it, and and I just – I. I understand intellectually from a position that they were trying to protect themselves and what's left to their stockholders since they filed bankruptcy and everything else. But at some point, you also have to look at the whole gun culture and the gun manufacturing community as a whole. You just created a huge hurdle in the future if anybody decides that they want to kind of throw uh, throw another lawsuit at a gun manufacturer because of this. Yeah, they, they tried that after the Las Vegas shooting and the it was in federal court. Uh, they sued several gun makers, and they alleged that the guns were machine guns because you could put a bump stock on them. And the whole thing was cockamamie. And finally, it went to the Nevada Supreme Court, and they said, "No, you, we don't recognize any such cause of action here." Right. But this, but this uh, settlement with Remington that's going to encourage other set. Um, Oh, yeah. lawsuits of this type. Yeah, no, the PLEC, uh, the PLCAA is probably one of the best laws that's been passed in my lifetime as far as guns go, because it, it you know, nobody thinks, oh, the guy got a, he guy, he drank a fifth of Jack Daniels. He got liquored up. He dry, climbed into his Ford pickup truck and plowed through a group of school children. Nobody's thinking of suing Ford Motor Company or Jack Daniels. And yet this happens every day. Uh, where they want to turn around and sue the the gun manufacturers or the providers or anything else for actions that, you know, they had no control of. It was a legal product that's been misused. And instead of punishing the perpetrator, they want to punish the tool instead of the the person who wielded it. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 madness out there. But you're doing a yeoman's job at this, and I really appreciate it. Um, we'll get uh, we're I'm going to put some links up in the chat room for people who want to uh, get your book. Um, and uh, I'd love to have you back on sometime in the future, Stephen. So if you're amenable to that, I can um, and I can send you a text or something. I'd love to have you back on uh, in the future as well. Yeah, sure thing. Glad to do it, Michael. Okay, thank you so much for uh, coming on uh, board. As far as a, a gun history guy, you are you're you you're my go to for that kind of stuff. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you for that. All right, <laughs> all right, Michael. Take care. Appreciate it. Thanks very much, uh, Stephen Hallbrook, our guest here on the Michael Duke Show. I mean, you just look at uh, you just look at his his uh, his. I was going to say discography. That's not right. His film, his bibliography. There we go. I was looking for the word. Uh, I mean, he's written about the history of the Nazis, gun control, the Swiss and the Nazis, civil rights uh, during the war. Uh, again, gun control in the Third Reich, Supreme Court cases, um, and uh, and of course his latest book, which is entitled "The Right to Bear Arms: A Constitutional Right of the People, or a Privilege of the Ruling Class." Excuse me. All right. Uh, dropping links right now into the chat room for those of you who want to go check out his book on Amazon. And who knows? Maybe one day it'll be on Audible. Hmm. Hmm. Wink. Wink. Hint. Hint. <laughs> Maybe I should read him an excerpt and send it to him. Uh, that would be uh, that would be a fun uh, a fun uh, uh, piece there. 
Uh, it's available right now, uh, again, on Amazon.com. I've dropped the links in the chat room for those of you who may want to go out and pick it up. Uh, looks like it's going to be a good read, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to diving into that as well. All right, we're going to open up the phone lines. It is gun Q&A all day. And then we've got Willie Waffle coming up at the end of the segment this morning. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns. One for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my little friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. Michael Show. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Oh, yeah. Firearms Friday. You're right. And uh, time to sound off and talk about issues of a Second Amendment right here on the Michael Duke Show. Welcome to hour two of the big radio program. We just finished up with Stephen Hallbrook who uh, is the author of a whole bunch of books. I mean, a whole plethora uh, of books. And uh, he is a he's a, a scholar. Uh, he's a lawyer. He has written extensively about the history of guns uh, and the right to keep and bear arms. Um, it's just some amazing stuff, some great stuff out there. Uh, and we were just talking about his new book, The Right to Bear Arms, uh, a constitutional right of the people or a privilege of the ruling class. And uh, I look forward to talking with Stephen Hallbrook again uh, in the future because, again, he is so well-researched and is uh, has such a depth of knowledge, especially about the history uh, and the parallels that we're seeing today. Um, in, uh, in today's, uh, in today's world. So if you missed it in hour one and you're just getting, just getting up and joining us this morning, you can go back and listen on the podcast or you can join us, uh, uh, on Facebook and go back and watch the, uh, and watch the, uh, replay on Facebook as well. Meanwhile, it's hour two which means that we've got a couple segments here of open line, uh, open form, all gun, it's gun Q&A all day is what we like to talk about. Uh, guns, questions and answers and commentary from you, from folks around the country uh, and around the state of Alaska. So we're going to open up the phone lines right now, the Pivotel call-in lines at 433-3150, 433 433- 
3150. If you'd like to sound off and talk about things, well, this is the this is the time to do it. We've also got some other headlines from around the state. We have talked already a bit about the Remington uh, gun settlement in situation with the Sandy Hook families. Uh, and Stephen, actually, if you missed it uh, on the radio because we did it during the top of the hour commercial break, he even made some uh, laid out some of his thoughts and commentary on that as well. So you can always go back and listen to it uh, there as well. Uh, meanwhile, let's uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, I still have other things that I want to talk about, uh, including things that are going on in Ukraine of all places. You know, Ukraine's been big in the news with the uh, you know with the with the uh, imminent invasion of Russia and everything else. Well, it's caused them to rethink some things as far as their civil rights go, including gun rights. So we're going to talk about that. But first, let's go over to the Pivotel lines and see what uh, is going on here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning, Michael. This is Ron in North Pole. How are you today? You know, it's it's a beautiful day, my friend. I mean, not only do I get the rest of the day off after the show, I'm actually taking Monday off. I meant to mention that to the listeners. Uh, I'm off on President's Day. I know it's a weird thing, but we're going to be off on Monday. <laughs> and so I'm I'm ready to start my four-day weekend. It's, uh, it's a pretty exciting time. So what's, uh, what's on your mind, sir? Well, your your mo- opening monologue uh, triggered something uh, uh, with me, and uh, uh, you spoke about the involvement of the insurance companies and all that sort of thing. And I'm, right. I'm wondering something about something that I've seen in the fairly recent past that perhaps co- American gun companies like uh, Colt and uh, Dan Wesson specifically maybe a lot smarter than a lot of other people in as much as they have provided themselves some insulation by allowing themselves to be subsumed by a foreign entity. And you're talking about, of course, by the fact that uh, American companies could be held to a different standard than foreign entities on American soil kind of thing? Exactly. I'm talking primarily about uh, CZ. Right. Well, uh, and uh, of course, of course, uh, Glock already—it's uh, built in, and it's right. also built in with uh, Walther. Right. Well, and we've seen the same thing with Springfield, Springfield Armory, and 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 many others, uh, where they have a majority ownership in 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 a foreign country, uh, and maybe that maybe that does shed some of the liability and shield some of the liability. Um, you know, I, I think my major—I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I, I, it was just a thought, you know, and uh, I, I was wondering about how, how these companies uh, seem to be going over to the European side as far as their primary ownership. I think I think a lot of those companies see a good deal. They know a good deal when they see it. You know what I mean? I mean, here's something that's here's something that's making money, and we might want to we might want to buy into it. And we don't have a market in our hometown, so maybe we should uh, reach out and and uh, become a become a, an owner in some of these other areas. I mean, that to me has always been the irony. Some of the best gun makers in the world are in overseas and in countries where the right to keep and bear arms has nothing to do with their citizenry. The regular citizen there can't get a gun to save to save their life, and yet uh, these companies have uh, you know have done well in America. Um, yeah, I've always thought that that well, was one of the biggest ironies. Yeah, perhaps those arrangements cut both ways. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, we'd like to. All right, I, I, I will. 
I will cut you loose and let you move on to the next caller. Thank you so much for calling in, Ron. It's always uh, good to hear from you. Bye-bye. Thanks for coming in this morning. All right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, that's always crazy. Always crazy. Well, and speaking of foreign countries, I mean, again, we were just talking about Ukraine, right? So Ukraine is, you know, on the nobody likes to. I mean, it's got to be uncomfortable and unpleasant at the prospect of being invaded by a larger, more powerful neighbor, right? Now, there's things that are already happening. And, of course, if you've been watching the news or seeing what's going on, uh, Ukrainians are not taking this sitting down. I mean, they've got – I saw a video the other day of what must have been a 75- or 80-year-old woman uh, laying down on the ground with an AK-47 being trained uh, by, uh, by, army, uh, by army personnel, Ukrainian army personnel, on how to handle and fire an AK-47. Uh, they've got a lot of people who are up there now that they're calling into the civilian reserve. They're calling it the civilian reserve. And, uh, so they're going to try and fight back. They're not going to, they're not going to take this lying down is what I'm saying. But, uh, there's even been some other ramblings and rumblings out there. Um, and that is that they're talking about maybe considering private gun ownership as a solution to, uh, helping, uh, keep the, to help keeping the uh, the Russians out, uh, according to an article uh, in RT.com, uh, they're they're talking about this is one of the things that they're talking about, maybe allowing private gun ownership to help fend off the invasion. And they say allowing people in Ukraine to legally own handguns would greatly improve national security against outside aggressors. UK, uh, Ukraine's defense minister, Alesky Reznikov, told uh, news agency RBK on Thursday the move would, quote, increase citizens' personal security, help law enforcement, and certainly reduce crime rates. Reznikov said on Thursday he's been a longtime gun rights supporter, adding that as a lawyer, he believes a gun law is long overdue in Ukraine. In the late 2021, the local UNIAN news agency published a piece calling Ukraine virtually the only nation in Europe lacking a gun law. The defense minister has advocated the idea of people getting a right to carry handguns and pointed to the experience of many other nations and argued that it would help Ukraine prevent potential aggressions. Now, I mean, this is a good start. There's there's definitely, you know, we're definitely, that's definitely the right direction to go. But think about this. First and foremost, it's only for handguns, right? He, the, the other kind of guns, the rifles, for example, the AK-47s that we're seeing all the pictures of, you know, civilians and grandmas and, you know, and, and you know, it's always moms and grandmas and young girls that they're showing with the, with the rifles because it's like shocking. Look, these people want to shoot too. Uh, but with those kind of guns, those would only be issued to reservists should the need arise. They're not, they're not saying you can have your AK or your AR or whatever. It's less than ideal, but it's immediately heartening to see that this is the thought that somehow having the whole nation come together uh, and fight for their own freedoms is, you know, is is great. I mean, this is exactly I mean, as, as Hallbrook was just talking about in the last segment, this is exactly what the founding fathers were doing when they wrote the Second Amendment. I mean, they had just just come out of the re- overall revolution and they knew that there could be another. And they were concerned because they were all students of history. They were very concerned 
about the potential rise of a, of you know of a government that could then oppress their own because they'd just gone through their own government oppressing their own people. And they wanted to have the citizenry be able to defend themselves. They didn't like standing armies. Standing army, you know, standing armies are, are you know, that was a, that was dearth to these people. And so they wanted people to be able to defend themselves. So it's heartening to see this. I know that something uh, recently also was going on in Romania where they were talking about their own Second Amendment type um, plans. And so you're seeing a lot of Eastern Europe is starting to understand that, uh, you know, the right of the people to keep and bear arms is important to remain free. And uh, I think it's, uh, uh, you know. It, it's it's good stuff. I'm it, I'm I'm enjoying watching it from afar at this point. Let's jump back over to the phones real quick here and see what else is on your mind on Firearms Friday. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Carlene in Kodiak. Good morning, um, Carlene. How are good. you? Good morning. Good. Good. Michael, I read in my local newspaper about Monday about something in the Ukraine that National Guard Armory were sent there from Florida. Do we not have enough soldiers? And um, is this is this the way it's done? It just seemed odd. Um, do, I, I guess I, I missed the part where you said in Florida they were saying what about Ukraine and Florida? I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Okay. Um, the U.S. sent National Guard Armory from Florida to the Ukraine. Um, and I guess I didn't read that story. I, guess, I know we sent about 300 American military personnel as advisors, quote unquote. Um, I don't know if they were National Guard personnel mixed up in that or not. But, um, yeah, I mean, we ha- we do have American service personnel on the ground in Ukraine, but they're only serving as an, adv- an advisory capacity. They're not military as far as active, you know, fighters. They're supposed to be advisors. That's the last that I heard about it earlier this week. But, um, you know, it, it, maybe some of them are made up of Florida National Guard. I don't know. Yes, it seemed like there were 12 12- to 1,500, and then they were moving them out, but um, I didn't understand that. Okay. Well, maybe I'll Google it during the break and uh, and see what I can uh, see what I can find out about it. I hadn't heard about that part, um, and we'll see if we can get some more info for you, Carlene. Thanks for calling in. Sure. Bye. All right. Uh, we got one time for one more call before we go to break here, if we make it quick. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, come on, Michael. It's Fred in Rhode Island. How you been? Hey, Fred. How are you doing, my friend? You want to you want to hold on through the break here, and I'll I'll good, get good. you I'll get you fresh on the other side. I don't want to I don't want to crowd you. He's the he's he's our VIP caller from calling out from uh, Fred in Rhode Island. There, uh, we are up against the break, so let's uh, let's jump in on that and get out of here. We'll be back with more. It is the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We'll return right after this. Uh, be sure, check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show, and uh, on YouTube and on Twitch TV and everywhere else. We'll return right after this. Your mental suppository. 
Michael Duke Show. Okay, we got Fred on hold. We'll be back to Fred here in just a second. Ukraine, uh, Florida, National Guard. Okay, let me see what's going on. Um, oh, okay. So they weren't. Okay, they weren't going from Florida to the Ukraine. Uh, according to the Miami Herald, they were ordered out of Ukraine. 160 soldiers of the Florida National Guard deployed to Ukraine since November have been ordered to leave by Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Okay, so <clears throat> they were there to train. They were there as part of that advisory force to train uh, Ukraine's um, uh, to, to, to train and do some training and stuff like that. All right. So that's what it was out. They were ordered out of um, Ukraine by the Secretary of Defense. Okay. All right. So that's what that was all about. I was like, what? What? Okay. I, I misunderstood. I thought Carlene said that they were moving them from, and it wasn't 1600, it was 160, uh, moving them from um, Ukraine to Florida, not the other way around. Need something to help not hurt my thumb and hand. Swells up bad. You're shooting a Makarov 9mm. Um, hurting your thumb and your hand. Uh, hmm. <clears throat> Is it... Uh, Heather's asking the question in the chat room. Is the gun comfortable when you hold it? I mean, does it feel natural in your hand? Have you tried holding other firearms? Um... Because if it's the recoil that's causing the swelling, um, either a heavier gun, um, you can't really get much lower than a nine millimeter as far as caliber wise. I mean, 380 is a smaller caliber, but usually the guns are so small that the recoil is pretty bright on them. Um, but is the, is it comfortable? Is it comfortable to shoot? Um, I guess, is it comfortable to hold in your hand? Heather would be my first question on uh, shooting your Makarov. Is it is it comfortable there? Um, Thomas Massey had some. Thomas Massey had some good comments about the Ukrainian situation when he chatted with Kibby last week. That's Kibby on Liberty, my friend Matt Kibby. Um, and uh, man, I've got to get more time in the. I mean, I, I I've really got to get more time in the day. Because I always I love to listen to Matt and whenever I get a chance and I actually sit down and listen to it, I'm like, man, I love these podcasts. I really should spend more time with these. Um, first pistol, it's a known issue for others. Well, it sounds like maybe that you're getting bitten by the slide. It sounds like maybe um, you're, you know, you're getting chafed or run uh, by, the, you know, so here's the first here's the first answer that I guess I would give to you, um, Heather, if you need help. Uh, not to hurt your thumb and hand, maybe try another pistol. See if that's the, uh, you know, the, I would say, you know, you, you need to try another pistol. Here's my suggestion. You said you have nothing to compare it to. Go down to the gun store, your local gun shop. Um, you know, um, I don't can't remember where you are, Heather, but wherever you are, go down to your local gun store and ask them to let you hold a variety of nine millimeter pistols in that area, and explain to them that you have a you you have a a, a Makarov, and uh, that it's uncomfortable to shoot and what it causes, but tell them that you're looking for and 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 pick up each and every one, 
slide isn't biting it. I mean, I've never heard of that. You saying it's a known issue for others. I've never, I guess I've never heard that. I don't think I've ever shot a Makarov. I know I've held one, but I don't know as I've ever shot one. Um, but I would go down and I would pick up a bunch of different pistols. Um, um, I would, I would like to see, you know, I, I think that you could, uh, find one that's probably a little more comfortable, uh, in your hand and feels natural. You'll know it when you put it in your hand and you're like, oh, that feels good. Oh, that feels good. Um, but that would be my suggestion, um, in that regard. I don't know if they make aftermarket grips for Makarovs or not. I'm not, I'm not up enough on that to know. All right. We're going to jump back into it. Uh, somebody suggested a prescript. Well, maybe that will work. Um, here we go. Fred's on the line. Let's do this thing. Here we go. Okay, welcome back. I I just looked up that thing on Ukraine uh, Carlene was asking about, and maybe I misunderstood her, but it is true. uh, I heard her say that they were moving troops out of Florida to the Ukraine. What the truth is, is that the Florida National Guard had 160 troops on the ground in Ukraine since last November, and they have been training. Uh, They've been helping to train uh, the Ukrainian military and some of their reservists, uh, and they were ordered out of the Ukraine a couple of days ago. Uh, So that's what I think the story is. And so I misunderstood. Uh, I thought she was saying they were going from Florida to the Ukraine, but it's the other way around. So uh, thanks, Carlene, for that. And uh, now, now I got uh, now I got some education on it. I can uh, I can understand it. Uh, Fred is over in Rhode Island listening on the stream and uh, listening to us. Good morning, Fred. What's happening this morning, sir? Hey, good morning, Michael. You know the uh, you know the uh, they call the the ruling the ruling class. I think has become the ruling conspiracy, and it has been for a while. But you know the uh, I think evidence of the uh, the globalist takeover of the world, including the United States, you know, it can easily be seen what's going on in Canada these days, north of us and east of you, as to, you know, their protest as to their rights being trampled and right. Trudeau just, uh, you know, putting the crown on, self-anointing himself as, <laughs> as the, you know, the, the, the almighty royalty and just doing whatever he wishes to do, regardless of uh, Canadian law right. and the Canadian constitution. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's definitely, a, you know, a, a signpost as to where things are going. And unless we get up and do something about it, it's only going to get a hell of a lot worse before it gets a hell of a lot better. No, it really is kind of a of an example that we need to be very wary of and to watch and follow. Um, Trudeau has invoked the emergency powers, basically their version of martial law, which has allowed the Canadian government to use uh, their terrorist financing act, and now they're going to target uh, they're targeting the finances of a lot of these convoy truckers and protesters just because they don't like. He doesn't look. He doesn't like this peaceful protest. They're going to make unpersons of the protesters, and uh, and they're doing it right now. I mean, that's that's insane. Um, it, uh, it it's well, it's pretty that crazy. That kind of falls in the, that kind of falls in the category of them being the terrorists. They are the terrorists, you know, instead right. of the opposing right. 
you know, the quote unquote terrorists, you know. Right. They're the ones who are committing the terrorist activities. You know, they take the fire with it, the gasoline, they're persecuting individuals who are speaking up, you know, to demand their rights, which they're mostly, you know, they're absolutely entitled to, to do, you know, and, uh, you know, this guy's just heavily handed doing what he does. And this is just the attitude, you know, the arrogant attitude of these, 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 these you know, these, these, these clowns who uh, want to impose their, their will, their way, and, you know, their, you know, their, their objectives on everybody else. Right. And it's, you know, and then Biden gets up there and sits there and supports them. So you go ahead and use force against them. I mean, he's, 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 Every time he opens his mouth, he just kind of like dances uh, on his dances on his tongue. Authoritarian's going to authoritate. That's what's going to happen right there. I mean, that's that's what they do, right? Dictators going to dictate, and you could see that. I mean, the, this whole thing in Canada has been mishandled so poorly. Uh, I mean, Justin Trudeau, if he had just sat down with these people and and you know had a sit down, he could have avoided all this. Instead, he fleed and and hid for so long, and it just it 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 started to blossom, and people realized how agitated they were over a lot of this stuff. And this is this is the overcorrection here. This is where he's going to respond, and it's going to be even uglier. When it's all said and done, I guarantee it. Uh, he's really making some missteps here, in well, my opinion. Oh yeah, for, for sure. Well, you know, he, you know, it just kind of exposes their. It, it definitely tips their hand and exposes their actual intention. I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, gun control, as I mentioned, before, it's just a very small part of the, you know, the, 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 the you know, their, 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 their uh, play game here. And, uh, you know, I think it's time that people really should recognize on on all sides, whether it doesn't make a difference whether you're a, a liberal or a Democrat you know, or a conservative or a Democrat or a Republican, it makes no difference. I mean, we are all going to go down the same drain, and the only ones are going to be up on the up on the up on the hill laughing about it is going to be them. Right. And it's time to it, I think it's getting to the point where enough is enough. And I think, right. it's, you know, definitely got to. Definitely got to do something about putting an end to this once and for all. Well, I think many Ala- uh, many Americans, many Alaskans, many Americans are watching what's going on in Canada with trepidation. And, uh, of course, they don't have the same laws and rules that we do, although they're you know our closest neighbors and probably closest to us. Um, and they're looking at this and they're seeing what's happening. And I think they're taking notes. Uh, as to what could potentially happen. Um, I mean, you see with technology and the interconnectivity of everything right now, how easy it would be for the government to basically zero out your life in your bank account and everything else and do all those things. Um, and, uh, you know, people sh- people should be preparing accordingly for that kind of stuff. You should always have a plan B, in my opinion. You know, you should always have uh, some money set aside, not in the banking system, not in the electronic zeros and ones and doing all that. Uh, so I, I totally agree with that, Fred. I think that you're 100% on board with that. So right. appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Well, you know, that, that, okay. Take care, Mike. Thanks for calling in this morning. I appreciate it. A little bit of a delay there with Fred. Let's go over here, take another call. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hi, Mike. Jeff from Homer. Hello, Jeff. Um, I was listening earlier about your uh, Second Amendment laws, everything going on in Remington, giving up there. Um, they must have some left-wing socialists running that place to do that, because there's no way that a good gun company would give up their rights to lawsuits and anything else. They, it's obvious, you know, they, they're, they're in the right state, got the right judge, got the right people, and, and probably they just couldn't fight it. But 
they need to fight it. You know, it's it's crazy what they did, and it could be the death of that outfit. You know, no, sad. I agree. I've carried him in tins all my life. You know, so um, and uh, but that's what they want to do. They want to kill anything that's good in America, and that's what they're trying to do all around. You know, I mean, simple as Camilla Harris going to the border of over there in another country when she wouldn't go to our own border. You know, <laughs> we got criminals coming in and, and, and right. you know, then Biden gets on TV and they're, and, hey, uh, we're, you know, you know these, these guns are bad because people are killing them. Yeah, a lot of them are people. The police officers are getting killed by these people that are coming across the border. You know, they feel there's almost a million of them came across unattended that they didn't catch, didn't want to get caught. They right. came across in different areas. So, right. You know, that and COVID and everything else. And, and it's just funny, COVID's over now, you know, just because they want it to be because there's ratings involved. So how, how well, much politics is in that? And figure that one out. Yeah. Well. <laughs> it's getting, they're just getting worse and worse. And November's coming. They know what's coming. Oh, it's going to be, yeah. November. I think you're going to see you know, some big changes in November. Um, I mean, you generally do anyway, historically, uh, you know, with a sitting president, usually his party uh, has a tendency to lose uh, to lose power and lose seats during uh, his presidency uh, in the midterms. I think this one, though, is going to be a bloodbath. I really do. I think that this is going to be cool. I think this yeah. is going to be shocking to a lot of yeah. people because people are just kind of fed up. They're fed up with all this stuff, Jeff. And uh, and I think that that's yep, just a, yep, that's just a prime example of it. Jeff, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Um, I want to remind you, of course, that the program is brought to you by your friends over there at Bivy, the Bivy stick. You've heard about this. You know, maybe you wanted a cell phone. Maybe you wanted to get a Pivotel cell phone. Maybe you wanted to have that connectivity, but you just couldn't afford it. Well, now you've got the Bivy Stick. The Bivy Stick, for $199, by the way, it's a cheap price point. I mean, that's just super affordable. It will turn any cell phone into a satellite communications device. That's right. The Bivy Stick is about two inches by four inches, so it's about half the size of your regular cell phone. And it is the most feature-rich short-burst data device that's on the market today. You pair it to your cell phone. You get it. You get the. You download the app. You pair the two up, and all of a sudden, now you can connect and you can send text messages. You can send emails to your friends and family. You can uh, drop a pin on your location on a map so somebody can track you if you're out and about in the wilderness and doing that. You can set it to automatically drop pins. If you're, you know, if you are, uh, uh, got a friend and they want to follow you out into the woods or they got to find exactly where you are, you can set a pin to drop every 10 minutes, every five minutes, every two minutes, you can drop a pin. Um, it's got features like the little, uh, the little check-in button where you can have a pre-automated message to say, all is well, here's where I am. You push the button, it drops a pin and it sends a text message or an email to whoever you designate on that. Or you've got the SOS button that says, Hey, I'm hurt or I'm in trouble. Come get me. Here's where I'm at. On top of that, it also of course has weather forecasts any from anywhere. As long as you can see the sky, it uses the same Iridium satellite network that, uh, other self that other satellite phones do. So if you could see the sky, you can get weather forecasts for regular forecast, aviation forecasts for you pilots, uh, for you mariners, you can get the marine forecasts and everything else. And of course, in today's society, in the what if category, we just have no idea what can happen. We could have another earthquake like 2018 when all of a sudden, I mean, I happened to be home that day, but what if I wasn't? What if my wife, I wanted to know how she was. She wanted to know how I was. I couldn't get through on the cell phone for the first couple 
couple hours after that thing happened because of cellular congestion and some of the towers going down and everything else. Well, that's why I'm getting my wife a bivy stick to put in her vehicle. So in case something happens, she can pull it out, turn it on, connect and send me. We can message back and forth to make sure that we're okay. You don't have to deal with cellular congestion. You can know for sure. Uh, I've got the unlimited plan, which is $45 a month. and There's no activation fees, and I can send as many messages and emails as I want. We're putting my wife on the emergency plan, which is like $14 a month, and that will give uh, her the ability to... uh, That'll give her the ability to uh, contact me only when necessary. It's good stuff. It's from Bivy. Go to SatelliteWest.com and check it out, or go see one of the local dealers, Arctic Fire and Safety in Fairbanks, Radar Alaska and Kodiak, Communications North and Seward, Safe and Sound in Wasilla, Anchorage, and Soldotna. Folks, we're out of time. The Michael Duke Show continues. Willie Waffle is up next. then love my bivy stick um i guess i should turn that off let's go over here we got another phone call let's see uh since we got willie coming up in a minute let's take this call now good morning who's this where are you calling from hey michael this is bubba calling from north pole hello my and friend just really quick alex Baldwin came out he had the magic gun in that movie set because he come out and said he never pulled the trigger Right, I know. It just magically, it just magically happened. The magic, the magic Hollywood gun. Yes, yep. Sir, yep. I hey, point I it and it goes off. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah. No, I point the gun and it goes off. That's the thing. I I, I point the gun, it goes off. I never pulled the trigger. Ne- it never happened. Well, let me just tell you that mechanically, that's not how it works. <laughs> I mean, you can misremember it. You can stop. You can immediately like, you know, you can immediately close your brain and be like, oh, that never happened. Um, but, but I'm telling you right now, no, 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 not not going to happen, my friends. Not going to happen. Um, that's just that's just how it, you, you know, it just does not magically appear on that. Um, I haven't, uh, I want to go back to Heather's comment here cause it's bugging me now. Prescript. What is a prescript? Uh, prescript specializing in replacement grips for firearms, uh, magazine center plates, uh, pre peer script, peer script for Makarov. Let me go over here and take a look at it. Fits the eight shot Makarov will not fit the Hungarian PA 63 nor the high capacity Makarov. Uh, it's a rubber grip replacement. Soft rubber grips fit the East German, Russian, Bulgarian, and Chinese models, dramatically improving the appearance, control, and comfort. The grips are about 10% wider than the stock Makarov grips. High-capacity grips are also available for the Russian models. Uh, They will immediately... Yeah, I mean, if you're getting... mm, Yeah, if you're getting... um, you know, your thumb swelling up and things like that. I'm wondering if it's about hand placement. Is it about recoil or is it about the grip itself? Um, Makarov swollen thumb, thumba, thumb for no reason. Um, <laughs> it's funny that just popped up, but 
clearance jams of the hot gun, extreme swelling, images for Makarov swollen, pistol malfunction, clearing fat bullets with a hot gun, and the most reloading weight under the rim. Um, I don't see anything on that. I mean, it immediately autofilled on, uh, it immediately autofilled on, um, on Google, but I don't know exactly, uh, problem, swollen thumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't. I don't see anything about that specifically. You, I mean, you. So, um, you know, like I said, if it was me, the first thing I would do is I would take a look at. Uh, I would try some other pistols. That's the first thing I would do. See if you got some friends. If you could get together at the range and you could try some other pistols and see if they do the same thing. Um, otherwise. Um, yeah, maybe a new grip. I mean, sometimes that helps. Sometimes a new grip helps. Sometimes a new grip hurts. Um, and it just depends on, you know, what you're doing. Uh, but if it is, uh, you know, I, I think if you can't fix that problem, the first thing you need to decide is you need to get rid of your Makarov because any gun that you're not going to shoot regularly, or at least, you know, that, that's going to do that, that's going to, that's going to make you not want to shoot it and get trained with it. And you're going to, you'll lose your proficiency with it. That's the bottom line. You need to be able to do that. Um, and so, yeah, that's why always my first my first recommendation on anybody that's looking for a new pistol or a new something like that is to find one that fits your hand and then go out and shoot it, get proficient with it, do dry fire exercises with it and everything else. And so... Um, but I, I think, I think I would see if I could get together with some other people and try some other pistols, you know, maybe go, again, go to the gun store first, find one that fits you and then ask around to your friends who, you know, are gun owners to ask if anybody's got one of those that you can go out and shoot. That would be my recommendation. But, uh, you know, what do I know? What do I know? Man, I'm ready. I'm ready for my nap. I'm about to go out. I've got I've only got this last little thing with Willie here and we're ready to get out of here for the weekend. It's good. It's good. If you're kind of scared of it, you definitely need to find a different pistol. That's what I'm saying, Heather. You definitely need to go find a different. It should not be scary. It should not be scary at all. Um, maybe one of the uh, less recoil Smith & Wessons. There's a couple of them that are made like that. All right. Phones are ringing. Uh, appreciate it. I got to go. Willie's uh, going to jump on here with us in just a second. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Heather, just let us keep us in the loop on that. Let us know what's going on with that. We appreciate it. <clears throat> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get it. Uh, we'll get going on. All right. Here we go. Let's do it. Okay. Well, there's a volume knob over here. I think I've finally found it. Welcome back to the program. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Speaking of volume, here's the guy that only knows how to go to 11. Yep, that's right. <laughs> only goes to 11. Willie Waffle, you won't find him without his subwoofer at any time. Movie critic extraordinaire, entertainment reporter, all around good guy. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Yeah, I also own a suit that's blacker than black blacker than black the ultra black that's it yeah. the ultra 
<laughs> Dang. God, that uh, is one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, oh, dear God. Yeah, so good. Blacker than black. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, um, let's just get started. We got a lot of entertainment news to get through before we get into uh, at least one of the movies, or maybe two. We'll see where we go. Uh, so where do you want to start? Hit me with it. I mean, are we going boldly going where no man has gone before or what? Well, we could go there. I, you know, I'll tell I'll tell you about that, and then I'm going to tell you about the big announcement from Netflix yesterday. So, ah. one of the, one of the big announcements that happened this week. Yes, we will have a new Star Trek movie. It is in the works, and they're going to get Chris Pine and Simon Pegg and Carl Urban and the whole rest of the new crew. No, that's how I said they're going to get. That's right. They've announced that the movie's coming out on December 23rd, 2023, that it will be featuring the new cast, and none of them have signed contracts yet. Oh, we call that a leverage point where I come from. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm just saying that means, oh, wait, you want this movie done then? Well, then I need a few things added to my little bottom line here. You know, you're Chris Pine, you're sitting back, you're like, well, I mean, you could do the movie without Captain Kirk, but I don't know how the fans would take that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I got to be honest, I, I have enjoyed. I know that uh, the first one was really kind of the one that really got the acclaim, and the second one was was kind of panned a little bit. But I enjoyed both of them. I mean, as a Star Trek fan, I thought they were great. I love Pine as, uh, as, uh, as Captain Kirk, and Cho as Sulu, and Carl Urban as Doc McCoy. I mean, I think those are just great. So I'm excited about it let's do it i am too uh you know one of the ideas that was floated for uh, for a while and it doesn't look like it's in in play anymore actually there were two ideas so one idea was that somehow captain kirk was going to run into his father played by chris hemsworth oh (laughs) yep and that would have been a really cool movie another one that was thrown out there was a quentin tarantino written and directed star trek Oh, my Lord. That would have been, well, that would have been something to see for sure. I think either I would have, I, I would pay for either one. Yeah. I still hope that they do one of them. Yeah, no, I would love to see that. That would be amazing. Okay. Uh, 2023. So we got another year to wait, a year and a year and a bit here to wait. So All right. it's going to be like Star Trek's gift to the world yeah i mean it's right there (laughs) december 23rd what more could a guy ask for um all right and you've got another big announcement from netflix you want to talk about i really do so uh you know after all the waiting after all the the dreaming after all the hoping stranger things is returning to netflix now here's the deal it's going to be season four part one will drop on may 27th Part two, and this is why I love these guys, will drop July 1st. None of this waiting half a year for the right. next part of, right. this, of, this, of the season. We're going to get it all in a fairly tight, fairly tight kind of package. But there was sadness that came along with the joyful news. Uh-oh. There will only be one more season of, oh. of uh, Stranger Things. Season five will be the finale. Well, they better wrap it well. That's all I can say. I mean, that's the good news, at least when you know that the finale, that it's going to end, you can at least wrap it up in a big, pretty bow. Nothing's worse than having this great series that does well, and then some studio exec gets a bug up his nose and says, I think we're going to cancel that. And you're right in the middle of some kind of cliffhanging arc, and you're like, oh, God, you know? Well, 
and it gives them a chance to be daring. Like I, I think that when you can plan it out and you know the end is coming, you can do things that you wouldn't have normally thought about doing. You know, you could have some some stuff happen to some characters. You could have some massive event happen. Uh, you know, I you know, I think a lot about Ozark. I'm a huge fan of Ozark. Right. You know, they've pretty much telegraphed this is going to end in disaster. <laughs> this is not going to end well and enjoy it. I mean, that's kind of what's going to be. Well, good. I mean, I'm excited. I'll tell you the, the big announcement for Netflix that got me this week. Netflix is Netflix has announced that they are going to be adapting one of the best video games in the last 10 years into a series, I think a short series, Bioshock is going to yes. be. And um, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's fine. Uh, but I mean, it is one of, I had more fun playing that game. Um, all versions, I played all three or four, whatever it was. Each one was just as good as the other one. A great storyline. Very cool because it's very much art deco, steampunky kind of, oh, it's so much fun. I can't wait. That's what I'm looking forward to. Well, and you know what's really exciting is that as video games have evolved, the movies based on them have evolved as well. Like you know, we we they, so, some of these video games very you know well you know you know so they have so much depth and so much intricacy right. and so much development, and that's exactly what you need for these movies. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I know Witcher was a book, but it really they've relied heavily on a lot of the video game lore as well. And so you're getting this big broad world out of Witcher, a lot of which is coming as a cross between the books and the video game. So I'm really I'm really looking forward to seeing Bioshock. That's going to be amazing. There's right. something I'm looking forward to seeing. What's what's that? I'm telling you what I'm looking forward to seeing. Okay, don't don't make the me. The coolest wait. comic of the 1980s is going to be an animated series on Fox. Oh, wait a minute. Bl Bloop. Yeah. yeah. Is this Bill Bloom the Cat? County. Bill the Cat. It's Bloom County. Bill the Cat. Bill the Cat. Opus, Steve Dallas. All of them. Oh, my gosh. That was the comic in the 80s. I got to be honest oh with you. My God. I still have my first edition. I don't remember why I had to have it, but I had to have it. I've still got my first edition Bloom, the first Bloom County anthology that they made. And it was just fun. It was amazing. Bill the Cat, you know, Steve Dallas, like you said, the whole crew. And now they're going to make a animated series out of it. I'm down with it. Let's do it. Well, and, and I think the upside is uh, is Berkeley Berkeley Breathed is going to be involved and, and will be executive producing. We'll kind of be watching over this. Thank God, because, you know, the reason Bloom County was great was because of his mind and, and the right. way that you know he developed these characters. I mean, Opus, you know, the, the penguin with an existential crisis that went on for years. You know? Right, right. Uh, Steve Dallas, the, the debauched 80s uh, yuppie who changes. <laughs> It's a, you know, it really is. Um, it was really kind of a fun intellectual comic. I really thought it was. I mean, and then I thought it did well. So I'm looking forward to see how they adapt it and who's going to play who. I mean, I got to know at this point, you know, so. Well, and they're going to get voice actors to do it. It's going to be animated. Thank right, God. Right. Because, because you know, I, I, I just don't know who they're going to get. My, I hope, I honestly, honestly hope they don't get anybody famous. Right. Just, you know. Let the characters be the characters. Absolutely. Well, I could name you a few voice actors who would be willing to do it. Me, me, me. Uh, so it would be fantastic. I can't uh, can't wait to see what happens there. Um, all right. We got, uh, let's see, we got about six minutes here or so. We got time for maybe one more on the big news front here. Well, you know, I know you're not as excited about this, but I, I am always excited about oh, it. Oh, God. We have Oscar oh, news God. this week, my friends. We have 
a trio of hosts who have been announced. Right. We will have Regina Hall from the Scary Movie franchise. We will have Wanda Sykes and Amy Schumer, the three ladies taking on the most dangerous, unrewarding job in Hollywood history, second only to being Steven Seagal's agent. <laughs> that's true. Although I like Steven Seagal's agent better than Wanda Sykes and Amy Schumer, so that's okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just, it, that's okay. Um, yep. Well, you know, again, I, I, I'm going to lay money with you, my friend, that w if we talk about this five years from now, the Oscars will be either be gone or have fundamentally changed so much that you won't even recognize them. I'm just going to lay that out there right now. Well, I think they almost have to. I mean, even even, you know, as they're announcing these three ladies, you know, th they went through all these hoops to say, well, you know, it's not like they're each going to get their own hour. They're going to interact and they're going to do stuff. And oh, you know, and we picked them over John Hamm and Pete Davis. Right, right, right. Well, yeah. okay. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm okay. Great. Let me know how it turns out. That's all I'm saying right now. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I just, you know, there's some genius out there who's going to figure out what to do to make award shows interesting. And that person is going to make zillions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, and good and more power to them. I mean, they might be able to cure cancer at the same time. Um, <laughs> it's about, about the, got the same probability at this point. All right. Uh, four minutes here. Uh, so I do want to talk about uncharted. Uh, so you pick the other one. What, what's the other one that really tickles your fancy this week? Well, the other one is Dog, because, you know, I'm sorry, I tried to watch the Kanye West documentary, Genius. Genius, yeah. Genius, you know, spelled in the worst right. way possible. And I got 45 minutes into the seven and a half hour spectacle, and I realized there is nothing interesting about Kanye West ow, at all. Ow, Yeah, I mean, that's seven and a half hours or 45 minutes of your life that you never get back, so... Yeah. Okay. So that's a negative one waffle on a 45 minute view. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Negative one. Negative, negative one. one. All right. We hit it again. We've only hit that a few times in our time. And I actually put that in Willie's mouth. I shouldn't have done, I shouldn't have done that. But um, all right. So let's talk about dog. Channing Tatum. He's an army ranger who picks up a fellow yeah. army ranger who happens to be a dog. What? <laughs> that's right. And, and see, see, this is some movie producer out in Hollywood is a genius because he's combined or she has combined a cute little dog with hot and sexy Channing Tatum. All the ladies love cute dogs. All the ladies love hot and sexy Channing Tatum. And they're going to want to see this movie in droves. And yes, he's trying to take the dog to the funeral of her former handler. And along the way, there's going to be some slapstick. Along the way, there's going to be some wild, crazy antics. And maybe they're going to find a way to understand each other, too. Sounds like Turner and yeah, Hooch. What the it's heck? It's predictable. You know where it's going. But here's the thing. I will give it points for this. I will give them points for the fact that, you know, they really do kind of get into the idea of, you know, what have these what what have these army rangers been through? You know, like, the, you know, the, the aftermath of, of all of those things and, and how they do find solace in each other. And I thought that was interesting. I'll go two and a half waffles. Two and a half. All right. OK. Yeah. Um, you know, video game movies are risky. Sometimes they turn out really well. Sometimes not so much. This is a big franchise, Uncharted, uh, but it's got some big headliners in there. Marky Mark himself, Mark Wahlberg, and yes, Spider-Man, Tom Holland are going to be treasure hunters. Hit me with it. You know, and it's just a fun movie. You know, like it's just a fun swashbuckling movie. Yes, you know, you know, Tommy Holland, you know, this this treasure hunting history obsessed dude, Marky Mark, his mentor, who, you know, well, he's a little shady, not gonna lie. 
and uh, the two of them uh, go off, and they're 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 trying to find this uh, this um, ancient treasure of Magellan's gold. And uh, of course, along the way, they're going to jump from exotic locale to exotic locale, and they're going to face some villains, including the too boring Antonio Banderas. The too boring Antonio. Antonio, go home. You're drunk. Yeah, uh, I mean, he should just be chewing it up here. This role was made for him to be just some crazy, over the top villain would have been perfect. He tried to take it too seriously, and this is not a movie you take too seriously. Right. It's it's the two leads throwing some one liners back and forth at each other. You know, some big wild action. And that's what gets you three waffles, man. Three waffles. Well, you know, and I love both the actors. I loved the Uncharted series. I think it was fantastic. I only played some of it. I didn't play it all, but it was fun. Um, I had seen a fan fame, a fan 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 made film that starred Nathan Fillion as Drake, wow. the main character. It's still out there. You can find it on YouTube. It was like a 20 minute little fan made thing where I think they were trying to pitch it and it would have been awesome with him, but I'll, I'm willing to give Tom, Tom Holland a shot. So I'm looking forward to it. Three, well, three waffles. I'm good with that. Three waffles. And he's been working out. He was really trying hard because he knew he was going opposite Marky Mark. Right. Right. So like, you know, every time he takes off his shirt, you can almost see, see him going. Yeah, that's right. I got some muscles now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I'm not that that skinny little kid anymore. I'm OK. I'm Spider-Man. Dang it. So, OK. <laughs> All right. Well, three waffles for that. That sounds good. Let me tell you what I'm watching this week, Willie. I'm watching Cowboy Bebop on Netflix. It got panned by a lot of people, but as a fan of the original anime, I'm saying it's pretty good so far. I'm about three or four episodes in. Uh, I'm loving it. Uh, I am also uh, watching um, the uh, Marcella on Netflix, which is a police, psychological police thriller. Oh, my. Oh, my. Go watch that now. That's fun stuff. All right, my friend. I am... Huh? I am trying to get through the mini series about Anna Delvey, also known as Anna Sorkin, the, oh, uh, the fraud yeah. who ripped off all the elite in New York City. Get out. Get out. Exactly. All right. Thank you, my friend. Folks, we're out of time. We'll see you Monday. No, we'll see you Tuesday. That's right, Tuesday, because I'm gone on Monday. I forgot, just all of a sudden again. I don't know why. You know, it's habit. What are you going to do? I am off on Monday. President's Day. I know, a weird holiday to take off, but any excuse will do for me. Uh, I'm going to sleep in, baby. Sleep in. That's what's going to happen. So I won't be here on Monday. We'll be back on Tuesday with Brad Keithley and Chris Story, and that'll be fun, as usual. We'll be getting down into the politics. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll get back to the politics. You'll survive. Willie Waffle. My friend, I appreciate it. I got to tell you, um, yeah, so I'm watching, I'm just going to say, Cowboy Bebop, great. Marcella, amazing. I'm also watching on um, on Amazon Prime, I'm watching the new animated series, The Legend of Vox Machina. Um, they were pushing that to me. Is oh, it that yeah. good? Well, first of all, it's the it was the largest Kickstarter in history, and I was part of it. I, I, was, I was one of the first backers of this and it is a D&D based fantasy series based on these voice actors who got together and played D&D every week uh, first at home and then they went on to Twitch and they started doing it on Twitch and YouTube and they developed a fan following where they went to raise $750,000 to just do an episode or two they ended up raising $10 million and getting Jeez. Amazon to sign on 
It is amazing. Now, not safe for work. Let me. This is not. This is not a children's animation. Okay, mm-hmm. but as far as those characters and the story, and the voice acting, of course, because they're professional voice actors. Uh. Amazing. I'm super loving it. Super loving it. Go watch it, Willie. Tell me what you think. They're only 20 minutes long. You can't you can't get too far into them. So just go enjoy them. And then you can tell me next week, okay? 20 minutes long. That's about the length I can handle. Yeah, I exactly. Like that's what happens when you have ADHD. I know. That's it's something <laughs> you've struggled with for a long time. All right, my friend. Well, it's a pleasure, as always, to speak with you. We will see you next week, sir. Well, and I hope you enjoy celebrating and honoring the presidents on Monday. Well, you know, at least, you know, most of them. Right. Well, I'm actually off today, too. I just got up to do the show, and now I'm going back to bed. So, see, that's how it works. I'm just going to... Sweet. It's nap time, baby. Thank you, Willie. Appreciate it. Uh, All right, folks. Thank you so much. We will see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show